You guys can sit down. <laughs> Good morning. How are y'all doing? I don't know how Tanner does it with these lights. Maybe it's just because of my height, but I don't know. They're blaring in my eyes. So I am Devontae McLean. I am a member here at Redeemer Odessa. I am a member of the Bertrand Community Group. Uh, it's a delight to see you guys. Uh, I don't know some of you football players because you weren't there in the, in the summertime. You may not have been here yet, but thank you for uh, coming and joining. I'm going to be reading from Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. If you need a Bible, if you would please raise your hand, and we'll have some people uh, coming around to bring you on. There's some people on. Um, if you have the Bible that's here at the church, that'll be on page 874. So, if they bring you around a Bible, Luke 15 is, uh, begins on page 874. So again, I'll be reading Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours." It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this year brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is, in, and is found.
Thanks, Steph. Hey, good morning. Uh, my name's Tanner House. I'm the lead pastor here at Redeemer Odessa. Thank you all for being here. Hope you enjoyed the delicious Fun Dome breakfast buffet. Uh, if you got one of those Bibles and you don't have one, that is yours to keep um, as our gift to you. Uh, use it, read it, um, delight in it. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. Hey, I've got a question. Show of hands. Uh, how many of you are into the Marvel movies or like superhero movies in general? Show of hands. Okay, I'm really not. Uh, I mean, I can appreciate them, but like I don't line up to go see the next Captain America movie or the next Iron Man movie. I can't tell you who any of the Avengers are or if they ever defeat the Death Star or Voldemort or whatever rebel cause they're, they're trying to get at. I don't know what it is they are trying to accomplish. I was into the original Batman, you know, 1989, uh, Jack Nicholas is the Joker. My parents had a bootleg copy that they recorded on a VHS tape from one of those like HBO Disney preview days. Some of you are old enough to know exactly what I'm talking about, all my 80s babies. Um, I liked The Dark Knight with Heath Ledger, but I never saw any of the sequels to any of the Batman movies. Thought those movies were cool, didn't care beyond that. Our culture's like really obsessed with these superhero movies, though. The Marvel movies have grossed like billions and billions of dollars on the movies and the, and the merchandise around it in the last few decades. And I think it's because we like it when the good guys win. We like when the cause for good triumphs over evil. We like when justice defeats injustice. There always seems to be a good ending to those stories, or at least they leave it open for the sequel to have an awesome ending. I think we like it when our movies and shows end that way. We cheer for the heroes. We hope that the villain gets what the villain deserves. But is that the way it ever really goes in life? It rarely ends that way in life. Personalize it a bit. Have you ever felt that you deserve something that you didn't get? Have you ever watched some sketchy person that has questionable character get promoted over you in your job? Or you feel like you work harder than that guy and he gets all the recognition? Have you ever just been mistreated? Man, what happens to you internally in those moments? How does that make you feel? We always want the good guys to win, don't we? But are we ever really the good guy? What if, I'm going to present this to you this morning, what if our view of ourselves and our view of others is really unfairly skewed? It is absolutely possible to see ourselves differently than how God sees us. Some of us have such a high view of ourselves that it affects how we see and how we relate to the world around us. And the same can be said for those of you with like a low view of yourselves. When we aren't viewing ourselves the way that Scripture does, when we aren't viewing others the way that Scripture does, when we don't see ourselves the way that God intends for us to see ourselves, we have completely missed the point of the Scriptures. This is especially true if you claim to be a Christian. Let me show you what I mean this morning. Before we jump into our text, um, Let's pray. We need the Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts and our minds this morning. So if you would go before the Lord with me. Lord Jesus, we need you. 
Lord, I thank you for these people that have gathered in this room this morning. Lord, I pray that you would soften hearts, illuminate hearts to the truth of the gospel. Lord, that you became a man to save sinners. Lord, we need you. Show us our need for you. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. Do a work in us this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, uh, open them up to Luke 15. We're going to be looking mostly at verses 11 and following. But to set the scene, we need to start with verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, him being Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus' audience is set. We have three groups of people here. We have the sinners. Jesus has been hanging out with the sinners, those who are near the lowest of the social strata of the day. We see in Jesus' ministry that he's constantly associating himself with people who are in ongoing unrepentant sexual sin, like the woman at the well. Other times we see him interacting with demon-possessed people. Uh, We see him interacting with the poor the lame, the blind, the deaf, and he welcomes welcomes them into the sphere of his love. He hangs out with them. Oftentimes, he heals them. Jesus is always around people that society is kind of placed on the margins. So next we have the tax collectors. They're considered the worst of the worst in Jewish culture. They're kind of like our version of the IRS, but much worse. They, they worked for the Roman government, and at this time, the Roman government was oppressing, oppressing the, the Jews. So they would rob from them, rob from their own people. They'd get rich in the process. So imagine you owed your government 100 bucks, and this uh, Jewish tax collector would come up and say, Hey, you owe me 120. They'd take the 100, give it to the government, and pocket the 20, and nobody would do anything to them. So they were just getting rich off of their own countrymen. And Jesus was loving and merciful to them in the same way. Man, if you're like me, you grew up in church, maybe uh, you remember the not-so-PC song we used to sing in our Sunday school classes about the short guy Zacchaeus. Um, The song says he was we. Uh, Jesus calls this guy down from a tree. He says, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. So he goes in, he eats with Zacchaeus, he offers him grace and forgiveness, and in Jesus' kindness to Zacchaeus, it leads him to repentance, it leads him to faith. Then there are the Pharisees and the scribes. These are the religious leaders of the day. These are the guys that seem to kind of have it all together all the time. They obey the law, they follow the scriptures to the letter, but they always seem to be in conflict with Jesus. In our passage today, they seem upset that Jesus is hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. So they start grumbling and complaining. And Jesus, hearing them grumble and complain, tells three stories. They are called parables. In Luke 15, he tells a story about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and our story today, a lost son, more commonly known as the prodigal son. And all three of these stories have the same theme of lostness. In the first two stories, something is lost, and at great risk, 
and great inconvenience, the person goes out and starts looking for the thing that they've lost until it's found. Spoiler alert, they always find what they're looking for, then they celebrate. I can really relate to the first two stories. I feel like losing stuff may be my spiritual gift. Um, Keys, wallet, phone, kids, just kidding. Um, Always lost always buried deep inside my couch cushions or left at whatever coffee shop or restaurant I happened to be hanging out in that day. It's just a whole production, but it's always a huge relief when you find whatever it is that you've lost. So Jesus tells these first two stories, and then he takes it a little bit further. He tells a story about a family. And Jesus tells these parables in order to prove a deeper point and deal with the situation that arises. So let's pick it up in in verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So this family we just read about doesn't actually exist. Remember, this is just the story. Jesus is trying to illustrate a point. And with the audience around him, he says, there was a man who had two sons. In first century Jewish culture, when the parents died, two-thirds of whatever money and property was left went to the oldest son. And the remainder would be divided up amongst the other kids. So the older kid was going to assume responsibility for, like, the land and the responsibilities of the parents. So it made sense that he got more of the funds. So immediately we're introduced to this younger brother. He comes to his dad and he's like, hey man, uh, give me what's mine. I'm going to get out of here. Jesus doesn't tell us that this family's having any conflict. It just seems like we have a son who doesn't want to listen to his dad anymore. He wants to do things his own way. He doesn't want the responsibilities of being this guy's son any longer. Essentially what he is saying to his dad by this request is, Dad, I would rather have your stuff than you. Dad, I kind of wish you were dead so I could get what was mine. In his mind, it would be better if his dad were gone. So he goes and he makes his request. So this dad liquidates a third of his assets over the next couple days, gives his youngest son his portion of the inheritance, and his youngest son leaves. Verse 14 says he squandered it all on reckless living. This isn't like risky investing. This is like reckless spending. It doesn't exactly say what he was up to, but it has become pretty apparent that in a very short amount of time, he has spent all he has. The dude has nothing left. And then, to make matters worse, there was a famine that arose in the area, and this kid was really in trouble. Pick it up in verse 15. It says, So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. He goes and he finds work for this pig farmer. Uh, which for a Jewish person is a major no-no. Pigs were considered the most unclean animal. You're not supposed to associate with them. But this kid is so desperate. He's got no money. He's got no food. So he did what he felt like he had to do. 
He began working for this pig farmer. And he was so desperate, he tried to eat the food that the pigs ate, but the farmer wouldn't let him. This is like the first century version of hitting rock bottom. Verse 17, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. He has this moment of clarity. He's starting to realize, like, his choices and his lifestyle and his sin um, are leading him nowhere. So just to define sin so we're all on the same page, when the Bible talks about sin, when we as Christians use the word sin, what exactly are we talking about? In Scripture, it means to miss or to fail to hit the mark, and thus you're making an error and following the rules of the law. So in a broad biblical sense, um, sin is used to describe any act that is disobedient to what God has called us to. And we know what those things are because of the Bible. So this younger brother, realizing that he's out of step with not only his dad, he's not only sinned against his family, but he's also sinned against the holy and righteous God. We see repentance beginning to take place in this younger brother. Repentance in the Greek means to turn. So to turn away from something. So this kid gets up, he starts for home, literally turns towards home. And can you imagine what was going through his mind with every step that he took? Have you ever done something that requires an apology? Isn't it so uncomfortable? We've probably all made a huge mess in some very significant and important relationships in our lives to one degree or another. That's just part of being a sinner in a sin-laden world. But sometimes reconciling those relationships is really hard. There's that lingering thought of like, what if, what if this person doesn't accept my apology? What if this goes poorly and I lose this relationship? Now imagine you're in the situation that this younger brother finds himself in. He has blown one-third of his father's money. Who knows how much that is? But it seems like this dad has some wealth, and this son has blown a huge amount of it. And as he gets closer and closer to home, can you imagine the inner turmoil that he's feeling? Is my dad going to allow me to come back? Am I going to be accepted, not even as a son, but, but as a person even? And look what happens. Verse 20, it says, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son, this my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. His father sees him from a long ways off. It's like he's sitting there looking for him day after day after day to come home. And this haggard-looking son stumbles back in. He's coming home. The dad sees him from a distance, and he abandons all traditional and social expectations on him and is in a dead old man sprint towards his son. Think about that for a second. What would motivate you to run like this? 
This man is old. He's advanced in years, the text would imply. Listen, I know a lot of you are like college athletes. Here's a fun fact about me. I actually went to college on a D1 football scholarship. No lie. I was an equipment manager. <laughs> Texas Tech does not go 7-5 and five in 2006 if I'm not on those sidelines fixing helmets and replacing shoelaces and uh, handing dudes towels. Uh, anyways, I don't love to run. I clearly don't do it enough. I've been told my whole life when I run I look funny. Um, maybe one day you'll be blessed enough to see it. But just know it's not pretty. We should race, Nate. Uh, I actually hate to run. We should still race. Um, but given the situation, if I'm this old dad in the story, I don't care how I look. I'm getting to my son. When he gets to him, the younger son starts in on his apology speech, and the father won't even let him finish. The text says he felt compassion on him. He ran to him. He kissed him. He embraced him. Man, but then he goes further, further than any of us would expect him to go, considering the foolishness of this young son. He begins to lavish on him gifts. Gifts of luxury, gifts of status, gifts of authority. He makes sure that everyone in the entire household knows that this son of his has been forgiven and all the sins have been forgotten by the father. Then he goes even further and they throw him a huge party. The son, deserving none of this, receives Everything that the Father has in exchange for nothing. What he deserves is to be cut off from his Father, and that isn't how the story ends. In his wanderings, he realizes that his reckless living doesn't fulfill him like he thought it would. He realizes that the pleasures of his sin are fleeting, and that his sin took him further than he ever intended to go. Man, that's the thing about choosing sin over Christ. Sin will always take you further and further away from God and his gifts than you ever thought possible. But the story of the Bible, the story of the believer, it's not about how bad we are and what we've done. It's a story about how good God is. The Father in this story is a picture of God the Father. And God's grace is greater than all of our sins. And God looks at the helpless state of this, uh, of this younger brother and says, I love you. I want you. I know what you've done and I forgive you. You matter. And because of the cross of Jesus, you are worthy. Man, come home. You who are lost and I will give you a family. And I will give you all the benefits of being called my sons and my daughters. Now, this would be an appropriate spot to end the story. In keeping with the theme of chapter 15, the lost has been found, there's a celebration, the dead have been raised to new life, which is a consistent theme in Christian theology. God is in the business of creating new life out of dead things. Jesus rose from the dead and defeated death and sin and creating new life for the believer. But remember how the story started. There was a man who had two sons. Verse 25, 
Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. We're reminded that this father has two sons. This seemingly righteous older brother comes in from his hard day of work on his father's land. The text says he hears the dancing. I'm not sure what that sounds like, but if you remember your prom or like you've been hitting the club or something like that, whatever the first century Jewish version of like, that's what's happening here, I think. So there's this older son, and he is angry at the celebration for his younger brother. Then he begins to act entitled and list all of the reasons why his father should have thrown the older brother a party instead. Never mind that his own flesh and blood brother is not dead and he's not living in danger. He thinks he's earned something from his father. He's not serving out of love for his father. He's serving in order to get something from his father. The father in love implores his older son to come to the party as well. He's reminding him of the reason they are celebrating in the first place. Then the story ends. We have no idea what becomes of this older brother. Does he go into the party? Does he go in and enjoy the benefits of the father? Did he continue in his refusal? We're left to make our own inferences here. The oldest son showing his pride and self-righteousness like that of the Pharisees. It keeps him from his father. The older brother saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So here's the question I want us to wrestle with this morning as we close. When you see the older brother's reaction, do you think he's right in how he responded to his dad? You see him as this like moral person, a very prototypical West Texan, but he has completely missed God in the process. The two brothers are exactly the same where it matters. At the beginning of the story, we see there was a man who had two sons, and neither of these sons really loved their father. One rebels actively, and one is obedient, not out of love, but in an effort to earn, in an effort to get something from the father, in an effort to get the father's stuff to get the blessing of the Father without actually getting the Father in his love. Both of these brothers have hearts that are not inclined towards their father. They don't want the father, they just want his money. What sets these two apart by the end of the story is that the younger brother recognizes the need for repentance. So the prodigal son isn't actually the younger one, it's the older one. The older brother thought he deserved things from his father based on his merit. 
Man, that's the danger of legalism and self-righteousness and trying to save yourself through just being a good person. The standard that God sets for us is not found in us. It's not based on your merits. It's not based on your morals. It's set forth by the perfect sinless life of Jesus. And apart from Christ, we are utterly hopeless. Apart from a work of the Holy Spirit to reveal our need for grace and mercy to us, we are doomed. Unfortunately, more times than I would like to admit, I, I identify with that older brother. Man, God has been gracious to me even this week to point that out. I put a lot of hope in my good works to try to earn God's favor. I often like the benefits of God without actually getting to God. Listen, it is possible to do a bunch of good, godly things with wrong, sinful motives. It is possible to be a moral person and still miss Jesus. It is possible to attend church, to give money, to serve, to do nothing bad or wrong ever in your life and have a heart that's not inclined towards Christ. When God sees you, what do you think he feels? Maybe you think he's disappointed that you're doing the thing you said you would never, ever do again. Maybe he seems mad. Maybe he sounds like your dad. But listen, if you're in Christ, God is not disappointed with you. God is not angry with you. God sees you through the lens of Jesus in the midst of your struggles and sins and is compassionate. And he looks on you with love. Man, all you have to do is rest in the finished work of Jesus on your behalf. What the older brother missed, and what I pray we don't miss here today is this. You are more sinful than you probably even realize. But in Christ, you are more loved than you deserve or could even imagine. And that's why the story of the younger brother, and the story of the gospel is so profound. The younger brother... The sinners in the crowd, the sinners in this room, we all need the loving, embraceful embrace of the Father. We all need this grace. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve, and Jesus so lavishly poured out his grace for us on the cross. Jesus defeated sin and death so we could have life abundantly in and through a relationship with him. And man, we can so easily fall into the trap of trying to earn this grace by good deeds. We can also look to the sins of others and think, man, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. But what we're actually saying in those moments is, I think I'm better than you. But when you really understand the depths of your sin, when you really understand just how wicked your heart is, May we never take for granted the amount of love and sacrifice Jesus so willingly gave on our behalf. When you understand the cross, you then understand the depths of your sin. It puts us all on equal footing before God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Man, we can't trust our best moments apart from Jesus to gain salvation. We need the love and, gra and grace of Christ so that was so lavishly poured out for us on the cross. Jesus defeated sin and death so we can have life and have it abundantly through a relationship 
with him. So here's where I want to close today. Apart from Christ, we're one of these two brothers in this story. You may be walking in ongoing unrepentant sin, and by the Lord's grace, you're realizing it isn't leading you anywhere good. Perhaps you're realizing it's not fulfilling you like you thought it would. Listen, if any of these describe you, here's what you need to hear this morning. The loving Father is waiting on you to turn, is waiting on you to repent, is waiting on you to believe that he has something better for you. He implores you to come as you are, and he will provide you an inheritance in him. You cannot outsend God's ability to forgive. Man, maybe you already know this. Maybe in your head you would agree with all this, but you're feeling shame and guilt and condemnation. You're feeling shame and guilt and condemnation for the things that you've done in the past. Here's what this story communicates to you. Knowing what you have done, knowing every sinful deed that you have done and would do and will do, Jesus went to the cross to redeem your guilty life. He bore your shame on the cross. He was resurrected to new life. And because of that, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So you can lay down your guilt and your shame and your condemnation at the foot of the cross and enter into the rest of the Father. You are forgiven. Walk in that freedom. If your life is marked by like self-righteousness or moralism or trying to be just good enough without Jesus, the need is the same for you. God in his love is inviting you to trust him. Not your own righteousness, but his. He is inviting you into his rest. You don't have to try to earn his love because it's already yours through Jesus. Church, repent and believe. Rest in what Christ has already accomplished for you on the cross. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the cross. Lord, thank you that you stepped out of perfection and endured the cross for the sin and the shame of the younger brothers and the older brothers alike. Lord, I pray that you would draw the prodigal back. Lord, that you would draw the wayward and the drifting into the sphere of your love, Lord. Lord, that you would bind up the brokenhearted in this room, Lord, that you would be a comfort and a peace to those that are feeling guilty and shameful and feeling condemnation for the sins of their past, Lord. May we rest and know that none of that is of you. Lord, our guilt and our shame for sin has been buried and left behind in an empty tomb. May we trust in your goodness and your nearness to us this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.